Welcome to Fiery Discourse, your podcast and media featuring dragonesses, female dinosaurs, and other similar stories and skillies. I'm your host, Lud Milan. With me are my co-hosts, Angron, Striker, Lucky Evie, Jordan, and you and use me. Today is you our say. 40 You say sorry. Uh, <laughs> today is our 42nd episode, and we're discussing 1996's The New Adventures of Flash Gordon episode, The Invisible Claw. So Flash. let's get dun, things dun, started. Ah. Yep, exactly, Gordon. exactly. I mean, you can't go wrong with Queen to start us off. But yeah, yep. Flash Gordon uh, was a comic strip created by Alex Raymond in the 1930s that was very, very popular, and it got many adaptations. Mm. Its first and probably one of its more well-known adaptations was the 1930s uh, film serials that starred uh, Buster Crabbe as Flash Gordon and Charles Middleton as Ming the Merciless. If you haven't seen it, and if you've seen Star Wars, you basically have seen the Flash Gordon serials because George Lucas took a lot, and I mean a lot of inspiration for the original Star Wars from these uh, Flash Gordon serials of the 1930s and 40s. Oh, two th- two thoughts on that. First, he also did that and uh, Valerian City of a Thousand Planets, and uh, Lucas, the second no. one, yeah, Lucas. That it's it's interesting, honestly. And second, oh man, I I I hear Buster Crab, and I just think, uh, I I just see Mr. Crabs as Flash Gordon. I'm just oh, like, oh god, yeah, that would be interesting. But no, Buster Crab was an <laughs> Olympic champion. He was a champion swimmer, and he was a he played Flash Gordon, which was his best known role, and he did all his own stunts, which were often because this was the 1930s, very very dangerous stunts they Indeed. had him do. And he Indeed. got paid uh, next to nothing, and he kind of regretted Star Wars because of that, getting all the attention. But it was because of the success of Star Wars that we got what is probably now the best-known version of Flash Gordon, at least amongst uh, the current generation, the mm-hmm. 1980 uh, movie, which it has its moments. It, it's it, Believe me, it is not as good as Star Wars or even some of the Star Wars knockoffs in the times, but it's fun enough. You know, it has Brian yeah. Blessed in it. And has Max von Sydow as Ming the Merciless doing a good job, and it definitely is a fun time. Yeah, and also it get, it also had Queen pretty much do by far the most iconic theme of Flash Gordon. Period. Oh, definitely, definitely. It is it is something that is again getting Queen to do the soundtrack is something that is just such a perfect decision that it really really works out for for the benefit sorry for the benefit of the movie. But one of the problems I feel with adapting Flash Gordon nowadays, and uh, actually more often, is kind of also what happened with like the character of Alan Quartermain. That Indiana Jones took so much from the character of Alan Quartermain that if you try to do it today, it's like, well, they're just ripping off Ind- Indiana Jones, even though Alan Quartermain came out decades earlier. And it's kind of yeah. the same problem with Flash Gordon, I feel. Yeah, because it's also Star kind Wars, of the same... Yeah, it's yeah. kind of the same thing with uh, Land Before Time and Dink the Dinosaur. Like, if they were to try and adapt Dink the Dinosaur today, and it would just... It, and, like, they already did it in the past. Well, they already made this in the past, like, in the 1980s. But, like, if they tried to do that today, it would basically like, oh, hey, it's ripping off uh, Land Before Time or Jurassic Park or something like that. You exactly, know? exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. It's, because it's, 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 it goes so... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it, it's like... Yeah, honestly... This might be one of the earliest uh, instances of, oh, hey, that's just ripping off Land Before Time or something like that, which uh, in terms of like animation and whatnot. It's kind of the opposite if you think about it, though. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. You know? But uh, yeah, even definitely... though neither ripped off the other. Indeed. No, no, exactly, exactly. And it's like Star Wars now has such a huge cultural like footprint that even though the thing that inspired it is kind of being put off to the wayside, which is kind of sad in a way, but you understand why it happens as well, because they took what basically came from their childhood, and they basically used it as a springboard for their own franchises in that. But this cartoon, the uh, 1996's The New Adventures of Flash Gordon show, it was an attempt kind of to update Flash Gordon to the modern day, and they did some changes to make it more uh, hip with the times, 
One of the things that they made a Flash and Dale Arden into teenagers rather than adults as they have been in all, in, in all other previous adaptations, rather. Indeed. And yeah, it's something that, you know, it's noticeable, but they don't go too uh, obnoxious with it, with all of the, like, you know, uh, 90s-isms and that. You, you could do Indeed. a lot, lot worse oh, with, hell yeah. uh, with something Honestly, like this. Yeah, you could. Like, uh, if anyone remembers Chaotic. <laughs> uh, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, uh, the episode we're talking about today is The Invisible Claw, and this one opens up with Flash, Dale, and uh, Ejod, which is a cat-like uh, alien on mega skates, which kind of looks like Master Chief's armor to me. Actually, uh, Ejod is a, looks a little more like a lemur, honestly, oh. like a ring, ring-tailed lemur a little bit. But I yeah. I can kind of see that, actually, yeah, looking at yeah. it. But anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, they basically, uh, Ejad basically says that they must stop Ming the Merciless, and it turns mm. out that uh, General Lynch's, who is Ming's uh, subordinate, his ship is right by them. Flash wonders what Ming is doing in his desert town before they're spotted by General Lynch, and uh, Flash uses his ray gun to blow out the light, which is something that, again, this show, for all of its faults, you can definitely tell that whoever made it actually cared about Flash Gordon and uh, continuity and the lore, which you'll Indeed. see more of in this moment. But, of course, the uh, oh, funny thing is that, yeah, they wear helmets in this part, probably so the animation didn't have to do the mouth movements, because even though the animation is pretty decent as far as, like, you know, mid-90s shows go, there are a couple of times where they reuse a lot of shots, and it's it's very, very noticeable. And this is probably one of the most egregious examples. The three of them are skating away. It cut. It cuts back to Lynch on his ship about to fire on them, and then it cuts back to the exact same shot of the three skating away. And they get to a cliffside, and Lynch uh, fires on them while they're getting away, which seemingly kills them. Now, this is something that's actually really clever. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but if it was, it is such a clever little reference because Flash Gordon serials, like uh, a lot of the movie serials of the time what would happen is that they would always end on a cliffhanger, like Flash Gordon's ship would be blown up, or he would about to be mm. tortured or almost killed, and it would always be like, yo, stay tuned for the next chapter kind of thing. And then the next week would always show how Flash Gordon got out of the situation almost immediately. Like, right when it's, like, you know, near death and doom for him, he would always find a way to get out of it. And that's how they would get people to go to the theaters to see the next chapter, to see what happened uh, with Flash Gordon. That's pretty we, clever, honestly. Yeah. It is, actually. Yeah, and if it's, def- if it's intentional, like I say, I definitely think that is a really, really uh, cute idea. And then from here we get the theme song, which is mostly made up of electric, guitar- electric guitars and uh, theremins, which... Sadly, I don't think they were able to afford the Queen theme song, which, well, that would have been amazing and would have made yeah. the show a 10 out of 10. You can Honestly, tell though, there, was a, there was a bit of a budget with this. Yeah. yeah. But that being said, talk- this opening, like, despite ultimately having, like, the electric guitars and whatnot, it honestly sounds very, it's honestly not out of place for, like, the overall series. Like, it has a bit of a, it has a bit of classical tones to it. Which is something you don't exactly see a whole lot of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And like, it shows how clever this uh, show really was at times. Oh, no, it definitely is. Even, like, with this episode, it has a lot of things that you wouldn't expect from, like, a Flash Gordon show in the 90s to do. But it's after the opening credits, uh, like I said, we get to see just how Flash got out of the situation. They took off their skate suits and they put them on, like, automatic control meaning that Lynch only blew up the empty skate suits, which is, again, a nice, clever reference to how Flash Gordon would get out of things. Like, Flash Gordon's ship would be blown up, but then the week after, it would show, oh, he parachuted out at the last second, or something like that. And again, I really think that this is an intentional callback to the original movie serials, which, mm. really nice touch. But yeah, Indeed. Lynch then calls uh, Ming to tell him the good news, while Flash calls uh, Princess Thundra who is, uh, basically, she, she's a variation of Prince Thun of the Lion People. And she's basically, you know, Princess Thundra of the uh, Lionoids, I guess they're called. I don't know oh why they God, their Oh, God, it's Thundercats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Thundercats! Flash Gordon did it first. They, they were 
They were the original cat people in uh in Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah, I was in the thirties. But yeah, uh, then we get back and we finally get to see Ming the Merciless's design, and he looks uh, completely different in here compared to other adaptations. He's depicted as like a green-skinned alien that kind of looks like a fish or reptile-like, thanks to his uh, uh, reptilian. Honestly, that. he does. Yeah, multiple, but there's there's a reason for that because Ming the Merciless. Uh, there's a reason he was called Ming the Merciless. He is. Uh, depicted typically as an Asian coated man. He has like the goatee. He had like the, you know, long eyebrows. He has, uh, that makes even sense, almost honestly. like, not even almost like even slanted eyes and like the original serial, which really makes you realize like, oh yeah, this was the thirties. From a different time. You yeah, can absolutely yeah, it was, tell. it was. And, but, but, but there was no way that uh, Flash Gordon cartoon in the 90s could have Ming the Merciless look like like how he originally did, unfortunately. Uh, not unfortunately, but there's no way that a Flash Gordon show could basically have Ming the Merciless look like how he did back then. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, no, absolutely uh, not. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely not. Yeah. So anyway, uh, General Lynch uh, tells Ming about Flash Gordon's death before he, uh, he sees uh, Flash on Thunderous Spaceship. Meanwhile, uh, we get to see Flash and the others fly over Sandstone, which is uh, Ejad's home. And Ming basically wants to take control of its solar power. And again, Sandstone is very accurate to the original, like a desert nomadic town in that. But for now, it's more likely to remind people of Tatooine from Star Wars. <laughs> kind of. Boy, it yeah, did yeah. look like that, now that you mention it. Yeah, and that's partially where uh, George Lucas got inspiration for it, was from uh, this area in the comic strip. Oh. And like I said, uh, for all the show's faults, it does really seem to have a respect for the original, and that they uh, actually seem to care about it. Oh, they absolutely did, and I I actually adore that they uh, absolutely had care for the original source material. Exactly. Exactly. It's like they they could have done like a, a cheap cash in thing, but it seemed like they actually tried to update Flash Gordon for a modern audience, and didn't really take sadly. And we'll get to that later. But uh, mm. yeah. So anyway, Sandstone. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. That's <laughs> no problem. No problem. But yeah, Sandstone is under attack by Ming's forces, and it's here that the show rips off Star Wars rather than Star Wars ripping off Flash Gordon, basically. Uh, because the, this fight scene is really reminiscent of like Han and Luke using the cannons to blow up the uh, the Tie Fighters. It really does kind of remind me of that. And so Flash destroys a uh, Ming ships while the uh, Sandstone inhabitants cheer. And one thing that's funny, and again another little animation error here, the cheering animation of the inhabitants is clearly on a loop because they do it and then it cuts away, and then five seconds later they're doing the same exact animation. Mm. But yeah, uh, there's also get we get dialogue like "Now let's slam dunk Ming," which is really just kind of trying too hard, you know. <laughs> it's like that. That clearly is trying to be like you know a little bit of that whole '90s extreme kind of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, basically, what happens then is that Ming is enraged as to why his attack failed. Lynch wants to use the behemoth to attack Sandstone. But Ming needs the uh, area intact. He then decides mm. to contact uh, Sulfa, his private scientist, to help him out with this. Yep. Now, and Sulfa is a dragoness. She has a really unique design. I like how she resembles a more traditional dragoness. She has like finned ears and red eyes, and she stands on her hind legs. I yeah, like she looks. They... She she's kind of a mix between a T Rex too. Honestly. Yeah, that, like, that they is call well, her the which, dragon yeah, of Mongo, but Mongo, like, yeah. But yeah, like I said, uh, it, it's a more realistic design, and I kind of give him credit for not going full anthropomorphic with her. It's mm. This is the one case where like not being so anthropomorphic actually really works out for the better in this case. Indeed. It's, yep. uh, it works for her character as well as design. I will Indeed. absolutely say that. Yeah, and the little touches, like of course, are her wearing a lab coat and the necklace that she wears is also nice to see, and Sulfa might be now. This again is trying to tie into the serial, which might not be. She resembles slightly a dragon that attacked Flash Gordon in the 1930 serial. We didn't actually see the dragon; we only saw its shadow because, well, 1930s effects uh, 
Flash Gordon serials did not have the highest of budgets, so they couldn't exactly do like stop motion to make a full dragon. But from what we see of it, it's finned ears and like the anthro the uh, hind legs. I really wonder if they based Solfa on that unknown dragon from the uh, source material. It may have been partially based on it. it may, may have, may have, yeah. But yeah, anyway, Solfa is interesting because she is seemingly the last dragon left on Mongo. But the later episodes would apparently add more dragons to the show, and we mm. might do another episode on this sometime in the future if, you know, uh, the other dragonesses have, like, a predominant amount of screen time. We might cover this again sometime in the future. But one thing that's interesting is Ming tries to lord this fact over her, but she isn't moved by this. She says that Ming needs her to keep him from being overthrown. So and who's really in control here? Control. <laughs> Which, again, Honestly. Yeah, I really do like that. I like that, you know, they didn't make, they actually kept her, like, uh, as a character. They made her really forceful. They made her, you know, she doesn't suffer for fools or anything like that. Which, again, I really do like that they, how they did her personality in this. Because it was very easy. The personality, her personality, I immediately loved her when she came Came on. She reminds me very same, much same. of uh, she reminds me very much of someone like uh, Senku or Mayuri Kurosuchi from Doctor Stone or Bleach, respectively. Like she's one of those characters where like that sort of thing is just like a mere inconvenience to her, and yet she's not truly, you know, evil. Like she, she's yeah, one of those no. like, uh, people who works a dead end job, but like is it's sort of like forced to, to and but honestly has more control exactly. than they let on. Like it's a means to an end. And she's smarter than than she lets on. And I love that about her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, that right there, that is perfect. But yeah, like I said, uh, the thing that's interesting, too, about it is that, uh, is that basically with her as well, is that she's not really a villain. She's more of an anti-villain, if you will, which you will see later on in the episode. And I feel like if this show had ran for longer... We might have actually seen her go from being like a villain to an ally of Flash Gordon, but we never got I mean, that, of course. For the most part, she is, if I recall correctly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I do kind of want to see more of her. There, make no make no mistake on that. I do, absolutely, as well. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I can't, I can't, uh, like, uh, forget how actually well-written she was. Oh, no, character. definitely, definitely. And again, especially for a 90s cartoon, being so nuanced was, you know, something that did not happen on, like, uh, oh, yeah. unless they're made uh, shows like this. Even anyway, the actress that they chose for her was perfect. Oh, no, definitely. The voice yeah. the voice is one of the best aspects of uh, Solfa in general. Yeah. Uh, she has that it's haughtiness right. about her, but she also oh, has, like, yes. yeah, yeah like, it's a haughty, sense, like, but... superiority, but, yeah, yeah. also with the... Yeah, it very much is superior. It's haughty. It's also very collected and very much like. Oh no, very scientific. About, and again, yes. we'll get to that in a little bit. I'm better than you. Personality made her perfect. Yeah. Oh, exactly, exactly. And again, it fits for the whole dragonous archetype in that. So yeah, oh, basically, yeah. Ming then decides to use the titular invisible claw, much to General Lynch's uh, horror. And uh, Sulfa basically asks what happens if Flash Gordon interferes, to which Ming says he will deal with Flash Gordon himself. And it turns out the Invisible Claw is Invisible Rockmen, which is actually accurate to both the comic strip and the serial. I don't mm. think they appeared in the movie, to be honest, but uh, but basically what nah, happened is the reason they were invisible... They would. Yeah, the reason they were invisible was so that they, they didn't have to draw or basically create costumes for them. Which, even though they did later on, in the original thing, they were invisible, so they didn't have to really create them. It so, yeah. Was it? <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, Ming basically gloats that uh, Flash is going to walk right into his trap. And we get another weird little bit of animation here. When Ming laughs, his head is just bobbing up and down without him moving his mouth at all. So, basically... Oh Flash and Dale then see a Ming ship, and they decide to evade it by going into the underground river, to which Ming drops torpedoes in it, and it's here that we get kind of like uh, the problem with the voice acting on this show. Excuse me. It's yeah, kind of a mixed a... bag. Some, like, yeah. Sulfa are really, really good, and others, like the voice actors playing Dale, are just... They're really not yeah. into it. You can tell that they're just reading off a script at some points. 
Like, there's not really any inflection coming from it, which kind of no. drags it down a little bit. No, it's like they they didn't even want to. They were they didn't want to be here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It felt like you know, okay, let's get this done and get this over with, and then we can you know we can just go out and get this cartoon finished. It was like they didn't really even like two other takes. It seems it felt like it felt like that. Even though again, the show yeah. isn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. But it just isn't. Uh, it, it could have been a lot better. It could have been like a shot in the arm for the Flash Gordon franchise, but it kind of fell short, short of that, in my opinion. So anyway, the ship uh, barely avoids the attack by going underwater. It then uh, flies out and strikes Ming's ship. Ming's ship then uh, leaves again as we hear the same exact cheering animation and sound effects from earlier being reused. It's been like five, ten minutes since then which is something that is really, really just out of the ordinary, you know? So, yeah. Oh, basically, yeah, yeah. And basically what happens is uh, we get to see Talon and Dr. Zarkov are there to meet Flash. Now, Dr. Zarkov is traditionally the man who got them to Mongo in the first place on his rocket ship. And here he's more of like a nebbish, nerdy type compared to other adaptations where he's basically like a super, you know, smart professor type. And yeah, he basically Talon, got snarfed. Yeah, oh, yeah yes, absolutely. Oh, snarfed. definitely, definitely. And Talon is, I guess, he might supposed to be. He might uh be like the winged men, uh the the Hawkmen, excuse me, from like the uh the serial and famously the movie where the lead one was played by Brian Blessed. So you're not gonna get as good as that one, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, the inhabitants of Sandstone celebrate their triumph while the Rockmen just walk right into the city. They go past a guard uh, lizard, and the group then question why Ming didn't destroy Sandstone to begin with. And it's here we get uh, Zarkov uh, gives Flash Gordon a scroll with information on it about Mongo's dragons and what happened to them. And mm. they and basically, uh, yeah, it turns out that Ming definitely had something to do with why they're seemingly because there might be other dragons that show up later on in the show. I do not know, but we'll have to again check and see if there are. Then we'll definitely talk about this. But yeah, uh, Ming wants to steal the scroll so that Sulfa would never know the truth. But then they realize Ming would have destroyed the city to get the scroll, so that can't be it either. Now, uh, Sandstone, being a desert city, runs basically on solar power. So the Rockmen disable the power of the city, and they begin attacking the citizens. And now Sulfa is ordered to move on to Phase 2, where she turns even more of the Rockmen invisible. And it's here where we get to see Flesh being attacked by the Rockmen and mm. is taken away by them. And it's something about the way that it's animated, like him being lifted up and carried onto like, the ship and that. It actually looks unintentionally humorous to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's the way that he was positioned or something. It just looked like it was trying to be a serious moment, but there was something about the inherent silliness of how it looked that was kind of silly, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, the, yeah, again, with the uh, animation, it's fucking, uh, you can tell they had a budget. And it just, yeah. even though yeah. It, I can say it, low budget can be very charming, actually. Oh, no, definitely, definitely. It's just sometimes it's mm. noticeable. Yeah, no, we, we understand completely. You know, sometimes again, low budgets can can sometimes make things even look more charming. But in this case, yeah, you can tell this is a case when they had a little bit too much ambition for the budget they were given. And I'm yeah, not saying no they should have cut it down because, believe me, I would have much rather had uh, you know, had this than had them not even try at all, like like filmation or something. But at least with this, again, it's not perfect, but it's not the worst animated show either, which, again, I give credit for. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely a step it, up it, from other 90s. Uh, and uh, it's definitely a step shows, up from yeah. stuff like, I don't know, uh, Thundercats or whatnot. Oh, no, like, no, definitely. Uh, like it's definitely. Not bad, but it is very much uh, higher quality in that regard. I do want to yeah, say definitely. it did give me um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles vibes. Very much I can see it. I yeah. can actually see that see very that, much so. It felt very much like the uh, 87 show in particular, like the later seasons of it in a way. But yeah, what happens uh, with the actual show now is that Flash is, uh, the Talon tries to save Flash, but he's struck by the Rockman and knocked out. 
The group basically used their ship to power a solar cannon so that they could try to attack Ming's ship. Flash is then imprisoned by Ming, who basically orders Sulfa to dissect his brain and whatnot. Yeah. And it's here where Flash's snarky personality, I don't know how to feel about it because it doesn't feel so much like Flash Gordon, who was always more of the serious, square-jawed, pulp hero type of the 30s. And again, this Absolutely. is a bad thing for a modern audience, which I get, I get, but I feel like having him like cracking jokes in that, it feels a little awkward to the character. It's much like with um Dick Tracy, um, although he didn't get a, a 90s show, but like as an example, for yeah, like, no, a, like a hero from the 30s. Yeah, exactly. Although I will say this, the Dick Tracy movie from 1990-91 is an amazing, amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, track it down and watch it immediately. That's it what is I'm going to the do. the most beautiful comic, comic book slash comic strip, whatever, a movie ever. It is just, it is a feast for the eyes. Like, and you have Al Pacino as Big Boy Caprice. He is amazing. Just the way mm. they do the gangsters from the original with their grotesque designs and they translate it to live action is amazing in general. But yeah, getting back to Flash Gordon, uh, Ming claims that the Rockmen are going to reclaim the greatest treasure of Mongo, which turns out to be Ming's uh, supposedly deceased wife, which again is canon to mm. the uh, lore of it that Ming's wife was killed and he wants to revive her as well as, you know, destroying the earth and whatnot. So, again, I give him credit. So, what happens then is that the solar cannons turn on before Ming uses, like, a shadow caster beam to suck out all the light, which, again, seemingly dooms Sandstone. And it's here where we get more of Sulfa and her personality. I really like just how she's so businesslike as she prepares to torture Flash. It really works for her, so she takes no pleasure for it. For her, it is just a job in that. And... Flash tells her that he knows more about her species than Ming does, and Sulfa is legitimately interested in this. She turns mm. off the device as soon as she's going to basically, like, torture him, and she basically asks him to tell her everything that he knows. And I, I do like that they kept that aspect, that she wasn't just blindly following Ming, that she's actually willing to help out Flash Gordon if it ends up basically helping her own side of things. Indeed. Yeah. So basically, uh, Flash tells her about the scroll, and Sulfa basically agrees to let him go only if he gives it to her. But the thing that's interesting is that she still isn't convinced. Even though she's basically about to let him go and let him uh, basically get back to Sandstone and save it, she still can't trust him completely. Which, again, really is nuanced for a show like this and a character like this. It would have been so easy to just make her like a, a bebop and rock city type, you know? But I feel like oh, actually giving her like more depth and more characterization, it really worked out for the better in this case. Indeed. But yeah, basically what happens is a sulfa then lets him go, and it's here where she turns Flash Gordon invisible with one of her rays, which actually is something that Dr. Zarkov did in the comic strip and serial. And she tells him how to destroy the Shadowcaster. The group mm. is basically wondering what they could do. And, uh, and Zarkov tells them that they could run and basically, you know, hide in that. Which, again, shows how different they made him here to how they made him in other versions. That he's more cowardly and he's more like, uh, almost comedy relief. Which is very strange for a character like Dr. Zarkov to be the yeah, comedy relief. Because he was more he like of the... very much snarfed. In this. Yeah, exactly. That, that is a great comparison right there. He, he was more like the, uh, I guess, Q from James Bond type of character who would always like give Flash various gadgets and help him out and whatnot. And mm. the actual Flash Gordon uh, comic strip and serials had a comedy relief and a nosy news reporter who ended up getting uh, tangled with them when they went to Mongo. This is in like uh, some of the later serials. But yeah, basically what happens in this show is... Flash sneaks in and disables the Shadowcaster before he steals Lynch's ray gun and he destroys the machine. And then Flash gives away his position by mocking Ming, which, again, it just feels so weird and out of character that he would just do that. Like, if Flash had remained silent, he would have been, he would have been able, basically, to get away with it, you know? Indeed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And 
And speaking of uh, voice acting and that, and uh, out of characterization and whatnot, there's a very strange pause in dialogue with Dale's line. Like they spliced two takes together, but they forgot to take out the uh, basic pause in it. Mm. Yep. Indeed. So it's here where we get like the uh, basically Deus Ex Machina, basically the return of the Mega Skates from earlier, as they use their uh, they use their powers basically to reveal the Rock Men as the solar cannons all fire on them and seemingly destroy all the Rockmen. Flash mm. is apparently killed, but he shows up unharmed just as all of the Rockmen are destroyed. And we get to see Flash meeting up with Sulfa again as he gives her the scroll. And again, another good characterization piece with her is that she compliments him on being a worthy enemy. Yeah, Flash calls, him, her, calls her, him an honorable enemy. Exactly, exactly. And again, that is something that, you know, Ming would not do that. Or like, uh, oh, no, he, you know, the other characters. Ming definitely doesn't uh, respect Flash. No, no, he I will say that. Yeah. 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 Like, he's a, he's like a true villain. But like, indeed. uh, uh, Solfa, you can tell that she actually respects Flash after this encounter. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And also, uh, what, Flash also, I do like how he tells her that they don't have to be enemies as she leaves, and we see her seemingly like she considers it. It's like she's really thinking, do I have to be enemies with this uh, person who helped me out in this way? And I think later on they made her more and more sympathetic, but of course uh, we will not know what will happen after that, because, this sh- well, I'll tell that in a minute, but... Basically, the episode ends on Ming's ship as he vows to bring his uh, wife back to life. And the 1996 Flash Gordon uh, cartoon, The New Adventures of Flash Gordon, it would only last for about 26 episodes, and then it would be uh, completely canceled, which uh, left uh, apparently a season two, and basically uh, things like that were off the table. So we'll never know if Sulfo was going to betray Ming to help Flash if Ming was, you know, able to revive his wife and whatnot. And I think another there's maybe thing a few, about this show. Yeah, sorry, I think ahead. there's a few episodes that where uh, that ultimately, uh, I think there are a few episodes where she shows up. I'm not sure, but uh, either way, yeah, I really would have wanted to see that. Cause oh, definitely, that, definitely. She's and a very interesting character. One interesting change that I actually didn't get to before now, I kind of forgot to say it, is that Mongo is said to be an alternate dimension and not a planet, which is... A uh, very mm. minor change, but it's an interesting one for its implications. Indeed. Because it in, the orig- because in all other Flash Gordon versions, uh, planet Mongo is, well, a planet. Indeed but here, it uh, it's actually an alternate dimension, which means that I guess the weirdness of Mongo makes a little bit more sense in that case. But yeah, aside from an equally short-lived live-action TV show in the 2000s, believe it or not, that it lasted pretty much the exact same length of time, 26 episodes, and it was canceled, the character of Flash Gordon really hasn't been seen in anything for quite a long time. And I think, again, part of that is, well, number one is, you know, sidestepping the whole Ming the Merciless issue, which, you know, is obvious why they can't do an accurate Ming the Merciless. They have to do a lot of reimagining with that. But the other thing I feel is, as I said earlier, is that Star Wars took so much from uh, from Flash Gordon that basically it is very, very difficult now, I feel, for people to do like a straight Flash Gordon adaptation without feeling like it is a knockoff of uh, of Star Wars. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Again, it is definitely kind of a shame. And yeah, now it is time for the uh, question of the week. And the question this week is uh, favorite science fiction franchises. Now, I have uh, quite a few of them. I, uh, I actually, uh, I really do. Now, uh, sorry, but yeah, uh, I actually really do like uh, Star Trek. Uh, I think my favorites are the original series, Next Generation, and some of Deep Space Nine. I feel like Deep Space Nine kind of got a. Uh, too much contemplating its navel by the end, and the rest of it, like Voyager and uh, Enterprise, it just felt like I kind of fell apart. You should really I'm give Lower really Decks, yeah. You should really give Lower Decks a shot. It's really fun. Yeah, I definitely gotta check it out because yeah, I do like the the idea of it and the concept of it. I feel like the uh, Kelvin timeline of it, the uh, you know the J.J. Uh, Abrams movies, they were okay, but they felt too 
actionized. If that makes if that, I haven't uh, makes seen any Beyond sense. yet, but I do have um, uh, the original in Star Trek Into Darkness movie. Yeah, yeah. Nice. They yeah, need a replacement uh, Into Darkness because it like skips in one scene. Yeah, I see. But no, like I say, for me, I feel like they kind of Hollywoodized it a little bit too much. And again, I feel like that's Agreed. why the original movies uh, kind of hold up a little bit better. Not all of them. You know? I mean, Star Trek uh, Five, uh, you know, is absolute garbage. You know, do do not watch it. That movie <laughs> is not good. But yeah, I feel as a whole, it's a franchise that is in a very weird spot because you have stuff again like the Orville that actually did some Star Trek stuff. Better than, like, Discovery did at some points, I feel. Yeah, I mean, like, more uh, or less. It, I mean, it pretty much did uh, Star Trek Lower Decks first, if you can believe it. But uh, honestly, yeah, I, I still think... Uh, I, I honestly want to watch that show because it very much sounds fun. And uh, it's made by surprisingly... Se- and I think it has Seth MacFarlane in it. Yeah, if I yeah, he, he wrote it and he created it. And I do nice. like about uh, Lower... De- I do like about the Orville... I do like that he plays it mostly completely straight as a Star Trek thing. It's uh, not a spoof. It's not a parody. It's not like a like a Mel Brooks's Spaceballs or that. It it plays it completely straight Star Trek type uh, scenario. Like a lot of the plot lines and a lot of the stories would not be out of place on the you know, original Star Trek series or like Next Generation or that in the continuity. Another uh, sci-fi that I really enjoy and. Believe it or not, I, it's one of those things where I don't like the franchise as much as I just like the first installment of it. Is uh, Clark and of course Kubrick, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I feel like I tried that one's a good into, one. That, that's great. Mo- it's my favorite movie of all time. It is something that is just a mind blowing, beautiful movie. It is a fantastic experience. Like, uh, it raises so many questions and whatnot, and it is just, mm. it never answers them, which I love. And that. Again, for like 1967, 68, it is mind blowing how they did some of these effects. Like, so, wait, which uh, one again, are you talking about again? 2001: A Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah. And again, it's my like, favorite that's movie one of, my of all time. Favorite movies ever. Yeah, it's my favorite movie of all time. It is just—it's a movie that it, it is one of those movies that very few that I could say is a perfect movie. It has reached its final form. It could not be a better version of itself. Mm. Interestingly enough, I saw 2010 like once or twice. I just can't get into it. I know, I know Clark wrote 2010 and he wrote like, tw- like, like uh, other sequels as well, but I feel like that kind of misses the point of the original in a way. I feel like the original 2001 is so perfect that it doesn't need any questions to be answered, basically. I feel like it, it's trying to answer a question that you don't need the answer to, basically. Like, yeah. it basically explains what happened to Frank, you know, uh, what happened to Dave when he became the star child, you know, what happened to HAL 9000, and you, you don't need those answered. I do like the mystery of the original, and that get, making all kinds of questions like that, it really, really doesn't work. And, of course, there's uh, some one-off movies that I like, like uh, Tom Cruise's Oblivion. Of course, Matrix is good. Aside from The Last Matrix, which... I, I tried watching like when I was on like I think of an airplane or something and I just I could not get mm. into it. I'm sorry that the the fourth Matrix movie just does not do it for me. It feels like three was the perfect mm. ending and you should have just stopped right there. You should have quit while you were ahead, basically. But yeah, though, that's uh, my answer for basically my uh, favorite uh, sci fi franchises. So, mm. uh, and what would you like to say? Oh, dear. That is a tricky one. Because with so many sci-fi uh, things out there, uh, it's hard to honestly just pick one, all things considered. Because, uh, mm. let's see, to start things off, I do admit that while Star Wars is pretty great, it has its, uh, it has, like, its flaws more times than not. Uh, and even though I still enjoy many aspects of it, Clone Wars for life, I will... Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely adored Clone Wars. Even yeah, oh, definitely. definitely. Clone Wars, I feel, it is the best thing that Star Wars has done in a long time. Although, I will admit, with Star Wars, I like the originals. I, I have a soft spot for the prequels. I, I actually feel that 
okay, they're not as good as the original, yeah. but they're not like the worst thing ever. Like everybody says that they were for a while. Yeah, true. Like, that. Like, like, they are yeah. not. No, no, I they have great admit, moments. Even I though feel like Revenge uh, of the Sith is a fantastic uh, movie. Oh know? yeah. Even though Attack of the Clones is admittedly the worst of the prequel trilogy, it's not like as it. bad as everyone says it is. And yeah, again, you I, could make a direct. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, wait, I will ultimately defend. Yeah, I'll ultimately defend the uh, prequels, uh, and I absolutely uh, Revenge of the Sith is the best of the prequel movies. And I grew up with Phantom Menace. I will say that overall, in that regard, I absolutely love. Uh, I absolutely love the Clone Wars. I love some of its spinoff, uh, Tales of the Jedi, and. Uh, I, I will admit, Rebels is a little lesser than I remember it, but it, it definitely had its fun moments. I'll, I will say that. Uh, also, Bad Batch. Good lordy. The, I I, I freaking love those. Like The clones were easily the best part of the prequels, and stuff like that is why, especially with D. Bradley, Bradley Baker's voice. Oh man! And then you got, but then you got stuff like Robotech and Transformers. Like it's robot it's robots in space man and you got alien robots how do you compete oh, with yeah, that robotech that's yes i remember uh, hearing that's like actually two uh anime series and no, three in anime series three wow, three. three animes and they just like mashed it into one yeah we're technically four since macross is still going to this day but Ones I want to focus on are the Robotech Invasion ones and the Robotech uh, and and the uh, first Macross ones. I, I also will talk about Macross Plus since it's basically part of that part one. But yeah, I I will handily like say that I grew up on that series and I love it. I very much do. <laughs> uh, but then there's Transformers, which like gave like uh, like gave Alien Robot sentience for the most part, and it has spanned for years. Like I absolutely adore uh, Transformers. Like I actually wa- grew up watching uh, fucking uh, Armada and Energon. Yeah. First toy I. Uh, first toy I ever remember getting, and the one that I still have to this day, is uh, Robots in Disguise 2001 Optimus Prime. Awesome, awesome. That was, for lack of a better term, Prime. Mm. But ah. then, but then, you get a fran- you get two other franchi- sci-fi franchises, like Metroid and Alien. Oh, yes. Both for of those Christ are good choices, too. Sake, how can I say no to these? Okay, yeah. to be fair, Alien 3 was a little... It, it was a thing. Uh, I have Covenant not seen Prometheus, but I haven't heard thing. good things about it. Alien Resurrection absolutely sucks, so far as Covenant I've heard. was also a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. However... I will admit that I really adore the first two movies. First two movies are awesome. I own Alien Isolation. I am think I've played like two of the Alien arcade games, which yes. And, and oh man, just there's just so much to talk about with Alien. It's it's part of the Blade Runner universe if you can believe about it, which gives it immediately idiot brownie points hands down. But then we get to Metroid. Pretty much Nintendo's first attempt at horror. And it's by far, like, I'm sorry, Transformers, Star Wars, freaking, uh, uh, Transformers, Star Wars, Robotech, uh, freaking, uh, freaking Alien, hell, Doctor Who, even? They do not hold a candle to Metroid, hands down. Like oh, I was definitely, just definitely. playing Metroid earlier. <laughs> nice. But yes, there is just so much about Metroid that absolutely should be tapped upon. And, oh man, Nintendo in the past have certainly tapped upon it. There's yeah, like, yeah. like the Metroid Zero Mission, Metroid... I still need to play the 3DS version of Metroid 2... Uh, oh, yeah, I, I Metroid Return of Summus. 
Yeah, I still yeah, need to. I still need to beat Metroid good. Fusion, but it's very much a good game. Uh, I am. I will die on the hill that Metroid Other M definitely is not a perfect game, but it's very much a uh, worth your time for the most part. It's the so, way that they wrote Samus is why it's bad. Yeah, sort of. I, Apparently, it was sort to of. appeal more to Japan. I think because historically, Metroid in Japan has never really been that big on. Indeed. It's always been like, you know, Fire Emblem has always been like the third huge Nintendo franchise over there. And Metroid mm. was always more of a uh, a niche thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That being said, I will stand on the hill that is awesome. Also, Metroid Prime. Come on, man. The trilogy is amazing. Two's the lesser for better or worse. But come on. Metroid Prime is hands down awesome just oh definitely mm. definitely 100 there's no way I, I cannot disagree with that yeah like, and i grew then, up playing metroid prime oh hell yeah super metroid it happened it came it went it rocked the freaking super nintendo for many good reasons which i am playing it right now on my switch <laughs> oh nice nice and See, also- now we get to metroid dread the most recent, barring remakes, uh, Metroid game, period, and it is the first ever time, aside from Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem, that Nintendo have made a legit horror game. Soft horror, but still horror nonetheless. And, oh, man, it is basically... technically, uh... Eternal Darkness was not made by Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, Konami all doesn't matter. Metroid Dread. (sighs) This game is basically a mix of horror game and Dark Souls in terms of its difficulty and how you ultimately need to, like, be on your game for this. It can be tough, but it can be fair. It is not impossible, and just, it's what makes Metroid overall so amazing. And I will say Metroid for that damn reason. I I definitely, definitely can agree with you there. I definitely see where you're coming from. And, yeah, just the thing I wanted to bring up earlier, just a tiny little tangent, is that uh, it's interesting you brought up, like, Attack of the Clones, because the part at the end with the arena where they're fighting all the different uh, monsters and that, Yep. That is also taken from the Flash Gordon serial, where the same thing happens with Flash Gordon. Nice. I, I mainly remember it from, oh, like, oh, yeah. Lego Star Wars, the uh, complete saga, where I was like, where that level, whew, a lot was going on. Oh, no, definitely, that, uh, definitely. I remember, uh, it, it was also in, like, uh, uh, the original Lego Star Wars, actually, since it's, like, prequel trilogy. Oh, nice, mm. nice, yeah. So, um, Stryker, what would you say is uh, your favorite uh, sci-fi franchises? Uh, thinking about it, I'm actually on the fence with a lot of them. Like, I, I absolutely adored watching Doctor Who when I was a kid. Yeah, Doctor Who. I, I watched the modern version of Doctor Who, like with Eccleston, uh, Tennant, Smith. Oh, that, yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, everything from uh, the Ninth Doctor onward. I haven't Indeed. seen anything with uh, the first through the eighth Doctor, unfortunately. I have, for the most part. I've only gotten, like, the fourth, but eh. It's, uh, a, it's a yeah. good time. Oh, yeah. I've seen some of the fourth Doctor, however, and a little tiny bit of the second. But that's because, like, of the the animated specials on BBC. Um, right, right. Like I said, and it, the thing that's interesting about Doctor Who is just how the fandom is so basically uh convinced to make to remake the uh older episodes in that that they have gone to like every corner of the world to try and find like even mm. incomplete copies of these episodes and animate it's, them and it's basically because like, of how uh improperly stored you no know, the BBC the that, that sadly happened with a lot of early television it's because a lot they of early disliked TV it that much yeah BBC a lot of early itself. TV they they got rid of a lot of it because they wanted to just reuse the uh, the nitrate for the film, which happened with a lot of movies as well. Believe it or not. Oh, 
Oh, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. But no, like you said, uh, yeah, I too, I remember watching a little bit of it, and I, I like it for what it is. I don't think I got into it as much as some other people, but it definitely is. It could be a, a really good time. Mm. Oh, it can mm. be. Very much so, it can be. Yep. And um, um, Lucky Evie, what would you say is your favorite uh, science fiction franchise? You generally cannot convince me that Pokemon is not science fiction. Hey, it counts, it counts. <laughs> by, all means, by all means, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, that, that definitely counts. I mean, Mewtwo it was, was made in a laboratory. You have stuff like Deoxys. You have stuff like even Magnemite. So, yeah, Pokemon yeah, definitely counts. Yeah, also Deoxys. Fucking yep. yeah. I yeah. actually have to agree with Pokemon. Yeah, but I also yeah. enjoyed that growing up. Oh, if, if we're including Pokemon and in, in, as like science fiction, science fiction that totally is in mind as well. That that definitely definitely is mine, and I can't you wait to the, talk more you about have the, the right franchise. to say that. Yeah, if we get to, when we get to talk about the franchise, it's to be very sooner than you think. Um, oh, Jordan yeah, cool. uh, has her microphone basically uh, muted, but she said that her favorite science fiction franchise was uh, Star Wars. Believe it or not. Nice. That makes oh, sense. I, I have to agree with that too, because like my mom actually saw the first one when it was in theaters, like back in 1979. Oh, nice, nice. Same thing happened, believe it or not, with my mom. Basically, what happened is a friend of hers told her that you've got basically like needled her. You've got to see this movie. You got to see this movie. They basically, yeah, she was driven all the way out to like uh to a couple of other towns down the way to where they had like the Dolby sound theater. And basically this oh. guy hyped it up so much that when she saw it, she basically, her reaction was like, that's it. <laughs> so that's the yeah. movie you hyped up for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, that I could see that happening because there was nothing like a, believe it or not, there was nothing like a star Wars out there, you know, because there, nothing uh, before is, this, there is nothing quite like Star Wars anymore. Yeah, because before this, you got to figure science fiction was always more stuff like, say, Logan's Run or again, like 2001 or really not, another good uh, sci fi one. I actually forgot to mention it is a uh, Westworld, the uh, 1974. Uh, oh, movie yeah, version. Westworld. The, the movie. Mm-hmm. Have, have you seen the Yule Brunner movie? I have I have yet to see it, but like, it is a classic. You have got to see that. I mean, if you're a fan of the TV show, you owe it to yourself to watch the original movie that stars a uh, Yul Brenner, Richard Benjamin, and uh, James Brolin. Yeah, it is a great, great movie. Uh, basically, it inspired the Terminator. Believe it or not, nice. uh, oh fuck yeah, the gunslinger. Um, you know, Yul Brenner's uh, android robotic gunslinger. He directly inspired the Terminator. Thanks for reminding me. That's another favorite of mine. Yeah, Terminator is good. I, I've actually I like T three Terminator three better than a lot of people. I feel like if the franchise had just ended there, it would have been a perfect ending point. Like yeah. Terminator three, it ends it. Like Judgment Day is inevitable. You can't stop it. But at least they managed to get the word out in that. So it's like yeah. a stable time. I mean, kind of was a very nice slice of life little thing that went on. So yeah. I'll give it that. And then the later movies have been garbage. Yeah, I mean, been Genesis great. is garbage. Dark Fate is garbage. Oh, I heard about that. Whenever Even they though, do- like, um, uh, uh, Robo Neon from a, uh, uh, Robo Neon from Yokai Watch. Yeah, yeah, that was inspired by um the uh that was made for the premiere of uh oh, yeah. Terminator in Japan. Uh, wow, I did not know that. That's interesting. But yeah, no, I feel like at this point, the Terminator movies are just excuses for Arnold Schwarzenegger to get millions of dollars again. You know, it feels at this point, it's like, yeah. why? how do you make a Terminator? I mean, he, he's, you know, it doesn't even make sense. I get like liquid metal and I had to put like organic tissue over the robot body, but it just... No, nah, no. Nah. I feel like T three. You you had a perfect endpoint. You know, it's like you could have just stopped there, and that would have been perfect. Mm. But yeah, now it is time uh, for the uh, Dragonus ranking. I'm gonna start. And uh, Sulfa, I really, really like her. I'm not sure if she's ten out of ten material. She is definitely. And I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna give her an eight out of ten because I like the design. It's an extremely unique design for uh. For Dragonesses, it is one that looks unlike any other Dragonesses that we've ranked so mm. far with its more realistic appearance. 
Her personality is incredible, especially, again, for a show like this. The voice actress is clearly giving it her all with the performance, and it makes us Sulfa seem more real. She's honestly the most realistic character in this entire show, believe it or not. So I, I would really love to give her a higher score. I feel like the only thing holding her back from a higher ranking, for me anyway, is that I feel like she needs a little bit more screen time in that, which again, maybe she has in other episodes, but if we're going just based on this episode alone, on the episode The Invisible Claw, she still gets an A out of 10 because she was the standout of this by a large margin. But mm. unlike uh, last week's where the Dragoness was the only good thing about it, or one of the only good things, she makes a decent show even better, I feel. So that's how I'm going to give uh, Dr. Sulfa an 8 out of 10. So, Anton? Nice. I am going to give her the same, same score, actually. She okay. is definitely uh, one of those characters that I absolutely would want to get on board with if they ever decide to, uh, you know, continue this. Be that mm -hmm. as it may, however... Other than the fact that she doesn't have enough time ultimately dedicated to her, I can't ultimately say that, like... Uh, I, had a, I, had a, I will uh, have to agree that she needed more more time dedicated to Yeah, her. she absolutely needed more yeah, time. Like, yeah, exactly, as her, exactly. As it stands, her character is ultimately great, and I haven't yet to see the rest of the show and, like understand like where she ultimately uh stands uh as it comes later however that be that as it may she is very much uh appealing her character's good her uh design i actually like it very much it makes it look her makes it makes her look like an alien dragon dinosaur thing going on and uh yeah she's very much uh she's very much on the higher positive end of the spectrum so i will give her a uh eight out of ten Nice, nice. So, uh, Stryker? I'm thinking about giving her a 9 out of 10, actually. Oh, Ooh, that's wow, nice. It's like, you know, I don't know why. I, I just, as soon as I saw her, I immediately loved her, and she reminded me of Gilmon from her design. Oh, oh of She very much does. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I might change mine to 9 yeah. out of 10, because, hey, like, hey, she, means, she's also ahead, the last ahead. of her kind, allegedly, so, yeah. uh, and yeah. people who are the Gives last of their kind ultimately well. don't deserve that sort of thing. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah like, everything about paper. the character, I just couldn't, uh, I can't hate. It's really, it's that good. All right, mm. that, no, that that's really, I get where you're coming from there, you know? Again, she's a, she is uh, the standout of the show, but unlike last week, like with the Bamboo Bears, here oh. I feel like, yeah, I feel like here she actually makes an already pretty decent show, even better by her presence. And yeah, Lucky right. Evie, what would you have to say you give her? Uh, let's go with that then. Eight, all right. Yeah. And, uh... Jordan has uh, written to me because uh, she can't really talk this episode because, uh, you know, basically uh, things with her. But uh, she's giving me she's giving a Sulfa a seven out of ten, mm. which is a pretty good score. So, yeah, Sulfa ranked pretty high in this uh, week's yeah. thing. Also, uh, gonna... Oops, sorry, go ahead. Uh, and also uh, for the previous question, you uh, say has stated that. Uh, he had picked both Star Wars and Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc 5, which I suppose that certainly counts. Oh, it oh definitely no, definitely, does. definitely does. And, uh, yep, yeah, so, uh, we'll just see if, uh, if they have a ranking thing, and if not, uh... Yep, they are they're typing just right now, now, so just, no. uh, give it a second. Okay, uh... Oh, oh, uh, no, they're just saying they're number one. Uh, he's saying, mainly saying Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc V. Never mind. Uh, that's right, that's right. And guess, he is uh, typing now. I think, I think he is in that 5, though. It I is I definitely kind of see that, you know. Okay, mm. here we go. Uh, 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 actually, I will say this right now before we go. Um, A friend of mine did say for our 5 that, uh, you know what, now nah, I'll, I'll wait until later. All good, it's all mm. good. Take your time. So yeah, uh, if you have any questions, or if you would like to say how you would incorporate Sulfa in Star Wars, you can email us at fierydiscourse <laughs> at outlook.com, or visit us on Twitter at twitter.com, fierydiscourse. 
And uh, oh, just one thing. Uh, uh, Yusuke's ranking is uh, also a 7 out of 10. Yes. So that's that. And yeah, next time we'll be talking about the uh, 1993 movie, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, for our Thanksgiving special. This is going to be a lot of fun and talk about a movie that yep. is kind of underrated, in my opinion, and it definitely is a weird time. You know, there, there is hmm. a lot to talk about with this movie. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much for watching. And until next week, take care. Yep. Laters. Adios.